I read to you previously from a playbill dated June 1st, 1959. It's all about a touch of the poet, a play by Eugene O'Neill and stars our screen favorite Eric Portman. So far, I've read to you a fashion article which was printed in the magazine and the biography of Mr. Portman. I have saved the best for last. In this entry to your time capsule, I will read for you a review of the play A Touch of the Poet that was reprinted from the New York Herald Tribune and written by J. Harold Clerman. This is an astute and revelatory look at the play, the motivations of the playwright, and a dissection of the characters. We get a brief glimpse beyond the veil of the flawed and intricate character who was brought to life on stage by our Eric. What I wouldn't give to hop in a time machine with you, whisking us back to 1959, to see Eric Portman and Cloris Leachman in A Touch of the Poet at the Helen Hayes Theater. This was a small Broadway playhouse which was located at 10 West 46th Street in Manhattan, New York City from the time it was built in 1911 to the unfortunate day it was demolished in 1982 along with several other historic theaters in order to make way for a hotel. Theatergoers regard each play they see as a separate entity with no antecedents and no prospects into the future. Hamlet is Hamlet and King Lear King Lear. And apart from the fact that both are by Shakespeare and therefore great, the relationship between the two is usually overlooked. For momentary pleasure this will do, but there is a great satisfaction to be derived from viewing plays in terms of what might be called their family resemblance. Take Eugene O'Neill's work, for example. Three themes are recurrent in his plays. The first, call it the universal theme, is the inscrutable mystery of life. Man's inability to fathom the ultimate object of his struggles the nature of his fate which he cannot foretell and which he hardly ever understands. Plays like Anna Christie with its old devil sea is a symbol of the fearsome yet irresistible attraction of the unknown. The moon of the Caribbees, in which men are tossed like driftwood over the shifting waters of the world. The Iceman Cometh, whose derelicts can hardly distinguish reality from illusion are typical dramatizations of this theme. Two other themes might be called American variations of the main one. There is the theme of exclusion, the individual American who feels himself alien to his world, cut off. Yank in the hairy ape, proud of his powerful muscles which stoke the coal of the great ocean liner, is suddenly rendered insignificant and rejected 
when the rich lady in the upper deck shudders in horror at his animal physique. This loneliness and not belonging is expressed on a more sophisticated plane in others of O'Neill's plays. In The Great God Brown, for instance, the artist is jealous of the successful businessman, while the businessman envies the artist, each feeling excluded from something the other possesses. The realm of sensibility and the realm of power in conflict with each other and magnetized by each other is central to much of O'Neill's work. It has various aspects. The struggle between father and son in desire under the elms, where the object of the struggle is the farm or who shall inherit the land. The father is the hard doer, the son the soft dreamer. In Long Day's Journey into Night, the father, though he has made himself an artist, is consumed by fear of poverty so that he has become mean. The son hates his father for his stinginess. They are reconciled when the boy begins to understand his father's past plight as a poor Irish immigrant, while the father comes to realize that the boy has the makings of a poet in him. This brings us to A Touch of the Poet. The play, already a success abroad, was the last play O'Neill ever wrote and completed. It was to be the first of a series of plays, each complete in itself, which would trace the history of an American family through the generations from 1828 to the present. A Touch of the Poet embodies a synthesis of O'Neill themes. Here the conflict is between father and daughter, but this time it is the father who is a bit of a poet and the daughter who is the go-getter. The balance between the two, and as usual in O'Neill's plays, their victim, is the mother with her abiding love for both. The father, on the surface a boaster, liar, and drunkard is a sort of Don Quixote. Born of Irish peasants, he has made himself an English gentleman. His values are poetic ones. Honor, bravery, pride of gallant accomplishment, the graces of a non-mercantile society. Disgraced among the English because of his headlong romanticism, he comes to America in the hope of becoming one with it but he is a stranger in a world which is increasingly becoming the tradesman's paradise. Isolated and excluded, he is contemptuous of the uncultured poor, including his own people, and hostile to the new moneyed classes. He is thus accepted by no one. His daughter wants to root herself in the coming success of the new land. She reviles her father's ineffectuality which still parades its pride in shadowy postures of grandeur. Here, then, is the struggle of the immigrant citizen with the ambition of the second generation. The girl wants to marry the son of a rich Yankee. He is the future, and he imagines himself a Thoreau-like idealist with the touch of the poet. But the boy, O'Neill intimates, will eventually go into business like his father, and become as hard-headed as he is now Mooney. That is one reason why we never see him. The play is about the girl's father, who by nature is the true poet, 
and recognized by all but his uneducated wife. But he is a poet in decay. He cannot survive in the raw bustle of the growing democracy. The world he clings to must die in him. His old self must be crushed before he can be reborn again. The play is the tragic comedy of his undoing as a poet. But as he sinks, his daughter understands that she has always loved him and will forever mourn the poet that is killed within him. On the threshold of her ascendancy as a successful woman of the new world, we sense that from the beginning there dwelled within her the yearning for the values her father represented. Though O'Neill is fully aware of the absurdity and futility of his poet hero, who he names Melody, O'Neill feels regret and sorrow at his defeat. But why must the past be crushed by the world of hard facts? This would bespeak pessimism and manifest another form of that oppressive fate which also appears to have haunted O'Neill's spirit. Yet the world meaning in this instance the new industrial society about to emerge in the period immediately following the action of this play, this world is also justified. For nature is ever in flux, and nothing can come into being without some destruction. Thus, a touch of the poet represents one of O'Neill's efforts to transcend his pessimism. Play in which we can contemplate without bitterness the mystery of the universal scheme that in itself is neither good nor bad, though from the standpoint of the individual, always painful. Through a page of the American past, we are back again to O'Neill's main theme. The play might have been called The Making of an American, and it voices what I suspect was always O'Neill's credo in this regards, that America can only fulfill its promise when its inherited idealism becomes truly one with its genius for the practical.